This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Adolfo by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 3, Chapter 12. Oft wooed the gleam of Cynthia, silver bright, in cloisters dim, far from the haunts of folly, with freedom by my side, and soft-eyed melancholy. Gray. The Lady Blanche was so much interested for Emily, that, upon hearing that she was going to reside in the neighboring convent, she requested the Count would invite her to lengthen her stay at the chateau. And you know, my dear sir, added Blanche, how delighted I shall be with such a companion, for at present I have no friend to walk or to read with, since Mademoiselle Byrne is my mamma's friend only. The Count smiled at the youthful simplicity with which his daughter yielded to first impressions, and, though he chose to warn her of their danger, he silently applauded the benevolence that could thus readily expand in confidence to a stranger. He had observed Emily with attention on the preceding evening, and was as much pleased with her as it was possible he could be with any person on so short an acquaintance. The mention made of her by Monsieur Dupont had also given him a favorable impression of Emily, but, extremely cautious as to those whom he introduced to the intimacy of his daughter, he determined, on hearing that the former was no stranger at the convent of St. Clair, to visit the abbess, and, if her account corresponded with his wish, to invite Emily to pass some time at the chateau. On this subject he was influenced by a consideration of the Lady Blanche's welfare, still more than by either a wish to oblige her, or to befriend the orphan Emily, for whom, however, he felt considerably interested. On the following morning Emily was too much fatigued to appear, but Monsieur Dupont was at the breakfast-table, when the Count entered the room, who pressed him as his former acquaintance, and the son of a very old friend, to prolong his stay at the chateau, an invitation which Dupont willingly accepted, since it would allow him to be near Emily, and, though he was not conscious of encouraging a hope that she would ever return his affection, he had not fortitude enough to attempt at present to overcome it. Emily, when she was somewhat recovered, wandered with her new friend over the grounds belonging to the chateau, as much delighted with the surrounding views, as Blanche, in the benevolence of her heart, had wished. From thence she perceived, beyond the woods, the towers of the monastery, and remarked that it was to this convent she designed to go. Ah, said Blanche with surprise, I am but just released from a convent, and would you go into one? If you could know what pleasure I feel in wandering here at liberty, and in seeing the sky and the fields and the woods all around me, I think you would not. Emily, smiling at the warmth with which the Lady Blanche spoke, observed, that she did not mean to confine herself to a convent for life. No, you may not intend it now, said Blanche, but you do not know to what the nuns may persuade you to consent. I know how kind they will appear, and how happy, for I have seen too much of their art. When they returned to the chateau, Lady Blanche conducted Emily to her favorite turret, and from thence they rambled through the ancient chambers, which Blanche had visited before. Emily was amused by observing the structure of these apartments, and the fashion of their old but still magnificent furniture, 
and by comparing them with those of the castle of Udolpho, which were yet more antique and grotesque. She was also interested by Dorothy, the housekeeper, who attended them, whose appearance was almost as antique as the objects around her, and who seemed no less interested by Emily, on whom she frequently gazed with so much deep attention as scarcely to hear what was said to her. While Emily looked from one of the casements, she perceived, with surprise, some objects that were familiar to her memory. The fields and woods, with the gleaming brook, which she had passed with La Voisin one evening, soon after the death of Monsieur St. Aubert, on her way from the monastery to her cottage, and she now knew this to be the chateau which he had then avoided, and concerning which he had dropped some remarkable hints. Shocked by this discovery, yet scarcely knowing why, she mused for some time in silence, and remembered the emotion which her father had betrayed on finding himself so near this mansion, and some other circumstances of his conduct, that now greatly interested her. The music, too, which she had formerly heard, and, respecting which, La Voisin had given such an odd account, occurred to her, and, desirous of knowing more concerning it, she asked Dorothy whether it returned at midnight, as usual, and whether the musician had yet been discovered. "'Yes, mademoiselle,' replied Dorothy, "'that music is still heard, but the musician has never been found out, nor ever will, I believe, though there are some people who can guess.' "'Indeed,' said Emily, "'then why do they not pursue the enquiry?' "'Ah, young lady, enquiry enough has been made, but who can pursue a spirit?' Emily smiled, and, remembering how lately she had suffered herself to be led away by superstition, determined now to resist its contagion. Yet, in spite of her efforts, she felt awe mingle with her curiosity on this subject, and Blanche, who had hitherto listened in silence, now inquired what this music was, and how long it had been heard. "'Ever since the death of my lady, madam,' replied Dorothy, "'Why, the place is not haunted, surely?' said Blanche, between jesting and seriousness. "'I have heard that music almost ever since my dear lady died,' continued Dorothy, "'and never before then. But that is nothing to some things I could tell of.' "'Do, pray, tell them, then,' said Lady Blanche, now more in earnest than in jest. "'I am much interested, for I have heard Sister Henriette and Sister Sophie in the convent,' tell of such strange appearances which they themselves had witnessed. You never heard, my lady, I suppose, what made us leave the chateau and go and live in a cottage, said Dorothy. Never, replied Blanche with impatience. Nor the reason that my lord the Marquis, Dorothy checked herself, hesitated, and then endeavored to change the topic, but the curiosity of Blanche was too much awakened to suffer the subject thus easily to escape her, and she pressed the old housekeeper to proceed with her account, upon whom, however, no entreaties could prevail, and it was evident that she was alarmed for the imprudence into which she had already betrayed herself. "'I perceive,' said Emily, smiling, "'that all old mansions are haunted. I am lately come from a place of wonders, but unluckily, since I left it, I have heard almost all of them explained.' Blanche was silent. Dorothy looked grave and sighed, and Emily felt herself still inclined to believe more of the wonderful than she chose to acknowledge. 
Just then she remembered the spectacle she had witnessed in a chamber of Udolfo, and, by an odd kind of coincidence, the alarming words that had accidentally met her eye in the manuscript papers, which she had destroyed, in obedience to the command of her father, and she shuddered at the meaning they seemed to impart, almost as much as at the horrible appearance disclosed by the black veil. The Lady Blanche, meanwhile, unable to prevail with Dorothy to explain the subject of her late hints, had desired, on reaching the door that terminated the gallery, and which she found fastened on the preceding day, to see the suite of rooms beyond. "'Dear young lady,' said the housekeeper, "'I have told you my reason for not opening them. I have never seen them since my dear lady died, and it would go hard with me to see them now. Pray, madame, do not ask me again.' "'Certainly I will not,' replied Blanche, "'if that is really your objection.' "'Alas, it is,' said the old woman. "'We loved her well, and I will always grieve for her. "'Time runs round. "'It is now many years since she died. "'But I remember everything that happened then, "'as if it was but yesterday. "'Many things that have passed of late years "'are gone quite from my memory, "'while those so long ago I can see as if in a glass.' She paused, but afterwards, as they walked up the gallery, added to Emily, This young lady sometimes brings the late marchioness to my mind. I can remember when she looked just as blooming, and very like her when she smiles. Poor lady, how gay she was when she first came to the chateau. And she was not gay afterwards, said Blanche. Dorothy shook her head, and Emily observed her, with eyes strongly expressive of the interest she now felt. "'Let us sit down in this window,' said the Lady Blanche, on reaching the opposite end of the gallery. "'And pray, Dorothy, if it is not painful to you, tell us something more about the Marchioness. I should like to look into the glass you spoke of just now, and see a few of the circumstances which you say often pass over it.' "'No, my lady,' replied Dorothy. "'If you knew as much as I do, you would not, for you would find there a dismal train of them.' I often wish I could shut them out, but they will rise to my mind. I see my dear lady on her deathbed, her very look, and remember all she said. It was a terrible scene. Why was it so terrible? said Emily with emotion. Ah, dear young lady, is not death always terrible? replied Dorothy. To some further enquiries of Blanche, Dorothy was silent, and Emily, observing the tears in her eyes, forbore to urge the subject, and endeavoured to withdraw the attention of her young friend to some object in the gardens, where the Count, with the Countess and Monsieur Dupont, appearing, they went down to join them. When he perceived Emily, he advanced to meet her, and presented her to the Countess, in a manner so benign, that it recalled most powerfully to her mind the idea of her late father, and she felt more gratitude to him than embarrassment towards the Countess who, however, received her with one of those fascinating smiles which her caprice sometimes allowed her to assume, and which was now the result of a conversation the Count had held with her concerning Emily. Whatever this might be, or whatever had passed in his conversation with the Lady Abbess, whom he had just visited, esteem and kindness were strongly apparent in his manner when he addressed Emily, who experienced that sweet emotion which arises from the consciousness of possessing the approbation of the good. 
for to the Count's worth she had been inclined to yield her confidence almost from the first moment in which she had seen him. Before she could finish her acknowledgments for the hospitality she had received, and mention of her design of going immediately to the convent, she was interrupted by an invitation to lengthen her stay at the chateau, which was pressed by the Count and the Countess, with an appearance of such friendly sincerity, that, though she much wished to see her old friends at the monastery, and to sigh once more over her father's grave, she consented to remain a few days at the chateau. To the abbess, however, she immediately wrote, mentioning her arrival in Languedoc, and her wish to be received into the convent as a boarder. She also sent letters to Monsieur Quenel and to Valancourt, whom she merely informed of her arrival in France, and, as she knew not where the latter might be stationed, she directed her letter to his brother's seat in Gascony. In the evening, Lady Blanche and Monsieur Dupont walked with Emily to the cottage of Lavoisin, which she had now a melancholy pleasure in approaching, for time had softened her grief for the loss of St. Aubert, though it could not annihilate it, and she felt a soothing sadness in indulging the recollections which this scene recalled. Lavoisin was still living, and seemed to enjoy, as much as formerly, the tranquil evening of a blameless life. He was sitting at the door of his cottage, watching some of his grandchildren playing on the grass before him, and, now and then, with a laugh or a commendation, encouraging their sports. He immediately recollected Emily, whom he was much pleased to see, and she was as rejoiced to hear that he had not lost one of his family since her departure. "'Yes, mademoiselle,' said the old man, "'we all live merrily together still, thank God.' and I believe there is not a happier family to be found in Languedoc than ours. Emily did not trust herself in the chamber where St. Aubert died, and, after half an hour's conversation with Lavoisin and his family, she left the cottage. During these, the first days of her stay at Chateau Leblanc, she was often affected by observing the deep but silent melancholy which, at times, stole over Dupont and Emily, pitying the self-delusion which disarmed him of the will to depart, determined to withdraw herself as soon as the respect she owed the Count and Countess de Villefort would permit. The dejection of his friend soon alarmed the anxiety of the Count, to whom Dupont at length confided the secret of his hopeless affection, which, however, the former could only commiserate, though he secretly determined to befriend his suit if an opportunity of doing so should ever occur. Considering the dangerous situation of Dupont, he but briefly opposed his intention of leaving Chateau Leblanc on the following day, but drew from him a promise of a longer visit, when he could return with safety to his peace. Emily herself, though she could not encourage his affection, esteemed him both for the many virtues he possessed, and for the services she had received from him, and it was not without tender emotions of gratitude and pity that she now saw him depart for his family seat in Gascony, while he took leave of her with a countenance so expressive of love and grief as to interest the Count more warmly in his cause than before. In a few days Emily also left the chateau, but not before the Count and Countess had received her promise to repeat her visit very soon, and she was welcomed by the abbess with the same maternal kindness she had formerly experienced, and by the nuns with much expression of regard. 
the well-known scenes of the convent occasioned her many melancholy recollections, but with these were mingled others that inspired gratitude for having escaped the various dangers that had pursued her since she quitted it, and for the good which she yet possessed. And though she once more wept over her father's grave, with tears of tender affection, her grief was softened from its former acuteness. Some time after her return to the monastery, she received a letter from her uncle, Monsieur Quenel, in answer to information that she had arrived in France, and to her inquiries concerning such of her affairs as he had undertaken to conduct during her absence, especially as to the period for which La Vallée had been let, whither it was her wish to return, if it should appear that her income would permit her to do so. The reply of Monsieur Quenel was cold and formal, as she expected, expressing neither concern for the evils she suffered, nor pleasure that she was now removed from them. Nor did he allow the opportunity to pass, of reproving her for her rejection of Count Murano, whom he affected still to believe a man of honor and fortune, nor of vehemently disclaiming against Montoni, to whom he had always, till now, felt himself to be inferior. On Emily's pecuniary concerns he was not very explicit. He informed her, however, that the term for which La Vallée had been engaged was nearly expired, but, without inviting her to his own house, added that her circumstances would by no means allow her to reside there, and earnestly advised her to remain, for the present, in the convent of St. Clair. To her enquiries respecting poor old Teresa, her late father's servant, he gave no answer. In the postscript to his letter, Monsieur Quenel mentioned Monsieur Motville, in whose hands the late St. Aubert had placed the chief of his personal property, as being likely to arrange his affairs nearly to the satisfaction of his creditors, and that Emily would recover much more of her fortune than she had formerly reason to expect. The letter also enclosed to Emily an order upon a merchant in Narbonne for a small sum of money. The tranquillity of the monastery, and the liberty she was suffered to enjoy in wandering among the woods and shores of this delightful province, gradually restored her spirits to their natural tone, except that anxiety would sometimes intrude concerning Valancourt, as the time approached when it was possible that she might receive an answer to her letter. End of Volume 3, Chapter 12